My name is Scott Nye, and this is Talking Radical Radio. Hello and welcome to Talking Radical Radio, where we bring you grassroots voices from across Canada. We give you the chance to hear many different people that are facing many different struggles talk about what they're doing, how they're doing it, and why they're doing it, in the belief that such listening is a crucial step in strengthening all of our efforts to change the world. On this week's show, I will be speaking with Sophia Soriano and David Camfield. The total numbers involved are pretty small so far. But there are signs in communities across the country of an upswing in recent years in the number of people looking for some sort of collective, multi-issue, sustained organization as a mechanism for their involvement in struggles for social and ecological justice. And, for many, one that is not an electoral political party with all of the tight constraints on political imagination and action that such organizations inevitably impose. This impulse has led people to experiment with a range of organizational possibilities, all the way from small, long-term anti-authoritarian collectives to more traditional, hierarchical, far-left party formations. Another form that this experimentation has taken in a number of cities, however, has been to seek ways to bring people together in a formation that is both radical and broad. Often, these embrace a label like anti-austerity or anti-capitalist, and they work hard at welcoming a range of approaches and at avoiding the sectarianism that has been so destructive to movements in the past, while putting energy into campaigns on multiple issues. Solidarity Winnipeg is perhaps the newest example in the Canadian context of this sort of group. Solidarity Winnipeg formed in November of 2015. The impetus was a recognition that there was a good chance that the Manitoba provincial election, scheduled to happen in April of 2016, would bring the agenda of neoliberalism and austerity to the province in a way that it has so far escaped. These buzzwords, neoliberalism and austerity, capture the relentless push by so many mainstream political parties around the world today towards cutting, privatizing, and deregulating in ways that hurt ordinary people and the environment. The founding of Solidarity Winnipeg was also a response to the weak and fragmented state of more grassroots and radical forces in the city. The goal of the group is to be a broad radical organization that aims to unite people from a variety of political perspectives who share a commitment to the transformation of society towards social and ecological justice and who understand that struggle must be central to that. Solidarity Winnipeg did its best to bring people together and raise these grassroots concerns during the campaign period. And, given that a new right-wing government did indeed come to power in the province, the group is hard at work strategizing about the best ways to respond to the government's agenda. Not in ways that rely on some other political party winning in four years' time, but in a multi-issue, struggle-focused, non-sectarian way that will fight austerity and build grassroots power in the here and now. Sophia Soriano is 23 years old and is a dental assistant and a mother, and David Camfield is 45 and he teaches at University of Manitoba. Both are involved in Solidarity Winnipeg. They speak with me about the peculiar political context of their province, about the work of Solidarity Winnipeg so far, and about the ongoing experiment of becoming a new kind of grassroots, multi-issue, non-sectarian radical formation. We spoke by Skype to phone from Winnipeg. My name is Sofia Soriano. I came to Canada about seven years ago, in 2009. 
I'm originally from El Salvador, so there is a lot of history there uh, in terms of political activity, and that influenced me. I'm 23 years old. I was born in 1992 when the war was over in El Salvador. And basically, I live what you would call a Western lifestyle. Latin America has been influenced heavily by the U.S. It's very Americanized. However, I think what groups and students do to, like, protest and even gathering at May Day, I think it gives a message to people. And that's what happened to me. I was curious, and I was a kid, but I had questions. I would see, like, Che Guevara's faces painted on the streets, and I would see graffitis on the wall saying, stop oppression. And I remember being seven years old and asking my mom, like, who, who is that man? And it would be, uh, like, the silhouette of Che Guevara on the, on the wall, and what's oppression? And so I think, like, all these students doing this, it might not show the results right away, but it gives a message to people, and that's what I believe in. And then I also was a student here in Winnipeg. On my first semester, I came across wonderful people at the U of M by coincidence. I think a lot of people like me, fresh out of high school, we have a lot of questions, and we are presented with options about what do you want to do with your life, and if living the world better than it is, if you see that there is a lot of trouble, and you come across people who are doing great work, and that's uh, how I came to be an activist and organizer. And I work as a dental assistant. I am a mom of a three-year-old, and I also try to be involved and try to be an organizer with uh, Solidarity Winnipeg, and also I've been working with No One is Illegal here in Winnipeg, which is a group that is emerging too. It's pretty new as well. And my name is David Camfield. I've been a socialist for, I guess, quite a long time, first in Ottawa, then for quite a long time in Toronto, now in Winnipeg. I'm 45. I became a socialist when I was in high school. I came to that through left-wing Christianity, the liberation theology, and the peace movement at the time. So I've been involved in socialist politics in one way or another since I was 18. And I moved to Winnipeg in 2003. And, you know, Winnipeg, the place where the radical left was not strong at the time, and it has over the years become considerably weaker than it was then, the context for that was an NDP provincial government in office from 1999 until just recently, and a regional economy that hasn't been very much affected by the global slump and very low level of social struggle. And so, as it became clear last year that very likely the NDP was going to lose the provincial election, that I and a number of other people started to talk about the need to try to pull together more militant and mobilization-oriented people to prepare for the struggles that we knew were going to come with the election of a new government, a conservative government, and a turn to austerity, or if the NDP won, a kind of turn to austerity light. So Solidarity Winnipeg is a new political organization that came together in Winnipeg, and it's obviously a broad, radical organization that wants to unite people who are committed to transforming society in order to achieve social and ecological justice, and who understand that that can only be achieved through a process to which struggle is central. Solidarity Winnipeg is a grassroots political organization. We make decisions democratically, and it's a pretty new group, but with a lot of potential. Tell me a bit more about the community context for the founding of Solidarity Winnipeg. What had been happening politically in terms of grassroots politics in the city, and what were the conversations like that led to the founding? 
it's really the story of what's not happening. I mean, just to paint a bit of a picture for listeners, the local labor movement is extraordinarily inactive and for the large part complacent. There's not much of what you could call a labor left, only a few individuals. There's only one community organizing group that's noteworthy at the moment, and that's the Manitoba Energy Justice Coalition, which is campaigning around the Energy East Pipeline. There's important stuff going on among Indigenous people in the city. There's a new magazine called Red Rising, an Indigenous youth magazine. But there's no formally structured organization, per se, although there's a very important process of politicization that's been underway since certainly before, I don't know more, but also a lot you know, intensified since then. When I came to Winnipeg in 2013, I was trying to get involved, trying to get a sense of how the political activity was here in Winnipeg. And to be honest, I think it was hard to connect back then. I didn't find really a way to get involved actively. And I didn't feel it was easy to do activism and start organizing and connect. I didn't find that until with Solidarity Winnipeg. So I was not there at the beginning when Solidarity Winnipeg was created. I became part of it. I joined after one of their events on January, and I saw there is a lot of potential. And just thinking about solidarity is what we need against capitalism and all the struggles that are making life harder and harder and are destroying the environment. So I'm really glad, even with all that it takes to do organizing and not just a protest or not just a picket, but actually trying to organize a structure and an organization, it's happening right now in Winnipeg. I've seen a lot of activity. Just a little bit of extra background, and that is that some people outside of Winnipeg may have heard of the Mondragon Cafe and Bookstore, which was a fixture in the city for years, which eventually dwindled away and closed. It was a space, it was kind of a hub for a scene, if you like, but it became less and less political over the years and, you know, more and more lifestyle anarchism. And its passing, I think, sparked a further dwindling away of what had been there in terms of something you might call the radical left in Winnipeg. So really, when we were getting going, it was a question of just talking to some individuals, people who knew each other, who trusted each other, who'd worked in small projects, for example, around some prisoner's justice and prisoner abolition kind of stuff people who've done little bits of labor solidarity and been part of discussion groups together and so on, but was really in a situation where there was not very much going on. There have been a number of us. Um, so, for example, I, I'm a member of a small socialist collective here in Winnipeg, the Winnipeg New Socialist Group. And back in 2014, we had a discussion on Alan Sears's book, The Next New Left. And we talked about the state of the left in Winnipeg, the decline of what Alan in that book calls the infrastructure of dissent ideas about what that might mean for us. And we certainly followed developments in other cities like Solidarity Halifax that united anti-capitalists. We saw with disappointment the slow dwindling away and the failure of the Workers' Assembly in Toronto, but nothing was really moving in Winnipeg. And as 2015 wore on, Matthew Brett, who's an activist here who was very much involved in the Quebec student movement, and myself, we and some others were talking about trying to pull people together for the struggles that we knew would be coming with the likely victory of the Tories. And it led to an initial organizing meeting in November of 2015 done by word of mouth to try to make sure it was as constructive a meeting as possible without sectarian elements or people who might just not be very constructive. We didn't really know where this was going to go. We just wanted to get people together and talk about how we saw the situation and see what people thought. And certainly, I think both Matthew and myself, who were two people who did the invitations for that meeting, we didn't necessarily think that what has become Solidarity Winnipeg would evolve the way that it has. We were thinking more about 
just some kind of anti-austerity group rather than a political radical organization. But that's the way that things have unfolded. And how did things go for Solidarity Winnipeg from that first meeting last November? That meeting, I don't remember how many people exactly were there, but it was better than what we'd expected. And it was a meeting that had people both who were left-wing NDPers and people on the radical left outside the NDP. Now, over time, it's just so happened that a number of the left-wing NDPers have dropped away. There are some people who are involved in the group who have NDP membership cards, but they're not people who are particularly active in the NDP. But, yeah, I guess the biggest surprise thing that I learned from the beginning was that there was a kind of a hunger among people who were there to be part of a multi-issue group committed to long-term change that would provide a way for radicals in the city to work together. And I think it attracted people like me as well. I was part of the Students Against Israeli Apartheid and many other groups which give you a lot of perspective and you learn a lot. But how do you bring many issues together? How do you organize long term? We adopted a provisional statement of purpose, which interestingly, several months later, was changed. We adopted an initial provisional statement of purpose just to give us a basis of unity with the idea that we'd revisit it after the provincial election in April. And we held two events in January. They were sort of the public coming out events for the group. The first one was what we called a policy jam in the middle of January. And despite it being a really extremely bitterly cold day, that drew out 40-some people to a community center on a Saturday to talk about a number of different themes. And then more important was the event that we did at the end of January, which I think Sophia came to, which mm -hmm. was an assembly or public organizing forum, Stop Austerity, Build Solidarity, I think we called it which we held at the University of Winnipeg. And that drew dozens of people who were worried about the looming election and the prospects of conservative win and who were looking for something more activist-oriented than the NDP. Tell me more about those initial events back in January, maybe starting with the policy jam. It consisted of people breaking into groups by theme, like anti-poverty, labor, prison, and criminal justice issues and Child and Family Services to talk about different kinds of ideas that could be injected into the debate, things that were missing in political discussion in the city or in different places like within the union movement. And then the event in the end of January, the larger assembly, people also broke down by kind of sector that way to talk about possible things that people could do to organize and intervene in the coming election campaign. Interestingly, we didn't actually succeed, I think, in actually doing that. The breakout groups didn't actually lead to much in the way of action, but it did begin to bring people together who were looking for something that was missing, as they saw it politically. And Sophia, what was it about that second event that really caught your attention and made you think that Solidarity Winnipeg was a group that you wanted to get involved with? The first impression that I got from Solidarity Winnipeg is that they were organized. There was a certain kind of a structure and that they were talking politics. Why I say this is because I've been into different community organizing activities, like against racism or to create awareness about an issue. But, you know, they don't get to the point that I really, you know, like we're not really discussing what's the problem at its root. And in Solidarity Winnipeg, I saw actual political discussions, and I thought this is good. This is what should be happening. And as I got more involved, I really started to see that it was a very interesting start. 
it was a little bit challenging because it was around the elections. Some people were not happy that Solidarity Winnipeg was focusing too much on electoral politics, you know, more people in the radical side. And at the same time, Solidarity Winnipeg was in between advocating and not a vote for the NDP. So some NDP people also were not very happy that Solidarity Winnipeg did not have like a 100% advocacy vote for the NDP. It was kind of in between. But I think it was good that it was started around the elections because at least there is a political discussion, even if it is low. One of the problems that I find within my generation is that people are depoliticized. The political discussion is not happening. So even though it was challenging, I think it was something that was needed. One of the interesting things I'll just add about the election period is I mean, this was far from ideal time to launch a new organization, and people didn't have, still the group is very loose, and there was no common approach about how to think about elections and electoral politics from the perspective of radical change, and the question of whether you should call for holding your nose and voting NDP or abstaining or what, that's a divisive question. And it was interesting to see that as things went along, the group had initially had a position of calling for vote for the NDP while being openly critical of the NDP's record. and that was changed democratically earlier this year by members who felt that we should take a different position and not actually call for a particular vote. And I think it was just a testimony to the way that we started to organize that members who had that concern were able to put their position forward. There was a debate with different positions, and democratic decision was made, which changed the provisional statement of purpose of the group. And I think the group was actually stronger as a result of having gone through that, because it meant that people had a stronger sense of ownership of the group, people who'd come in after the very beginning stage, when that initial basis of unity had been adopted, were able to democratically argue for a change. And how did the group intervene publicly in the campaign period? It turned out to be a much less politicized election campaign than a lot of people had expected. There was very little debate to speak of. A lot of people very concerned about the Conservatives, but the Conservatives didn't actually campaign on an openly hard-right agenda. The NDP was very unpopular, and they just coasted in on the backs of that unpopularity. And it just meant it was very difficult to intervene and spark debate or even to demonstrate against the Conservatives on any issues. It was extraordinarily sleepy. We held a couple of public forums, one called Women Against Colonialism and Budget Cuts, and another one called Voting is Not Enough. Those were two public events that we held during the election period. And the other thing that we did was we had a very high-profile, visible intervention at a very large event that Naomi Klein spoke at in the city. It was the biggest left event in the city in years, many, many years. Over a thousand people came to hear her speak. And with the table and mass leafleting, we made our presence known there, too. So even given that the group's perspective was different at different points with respect to the election campaign, there was still this premise that it made sense to intervene in some way in the context of the campaign. And that's not something that everyone involved in grassroots sorts of politics would agree with. So tell me a bit more about that decision to intervene in one way or another during the campaign. It was ambiguous, and that was one of the things that was affecting Solidarity Winnipeg. As a new member, I didn't know if focused my energies on campaigning for the NDP, if that was the purpose, or really what should be happening is that we should be talking about these cuts and how we are being made to accept a system that doesn't work for the people, whether it's raw austerity from the conservatives or to a level to the NDP follows these austerity measures as well. So 
I think that the elections are important, and that's what we talked about at our event, voting is not enough, because there are measures that are being implemented that are affecting people right now. And we were not saying vote for the NDP, hold your nose, and we left it up to people, but exposing the austerity agenda. The whole debate around this was difficult because people outside of Manitoba, it's sometimes hard to appreciate what having the NDP in office since 1999 meant. The NDP became so identified with the status quo. The status quo was, you know, rising levels of incarceration, rising percentages of Indigenous people among the incarcerated population. People's expectations were managed and lowered by having the NDP in office for so long. Leaders of unions and community organizations and so on could certainly get meetings with ministers and staffers and so on. So there was all sorts of consultation. But in terms of actual social reforms, very, very, very little. Small increases to the minimum wage, small positive measures, but extremely, extremely small. So for many, many people, people who were younger than their mid-30s, they'd only ever known the NDP as the provincial government here. And that just produced a political climate that was quite different than anywhere else you'd find in the Canadian state. Because also what was different is the NDP here did not actually really push the neoliberal agenda forward the way that it did in Saskatchewan, for example, when it was in office from the early 90s until you know a decade ago. They certainly did a number of things that were very friendly to mining investment, but they also kept a whole number of things at bay, like public-private partnerships and so on. So it, it wasn't as clear and straightforward a situation that you might expect to find where the NDP is in office or Social Democrats are in office, but really advancing a kind of Blairite neoliberal agenda. Here it was more subtle than that, so it just made the political terrain really, really difficult when it came to the question of the election, because a lot of people just held their noses and voted NDP, and it was a real kind of lesser evil fear of the Conservatives. But then lots of other people who were on the left, for them the NDP meant nothing, nothing positive. It was just the status quo of the crummy society that they were living in. So it just meant that there was no common way of discussing this. It was a difficult kind of conversation to have, unfortunately. But I think it was one that the group managed to navigate fairly effectively. Just to make it clear, we never talked about campaigning for the NDP. I mean, it was always very clear from the beginning that if people wanted to campaign for the NDP, they could do that, but that's not what this group was going to be doing. And that disappointed some NDPers, but it was clear that we were about something else politically. So it seems clear from the ways that you've been talking about the group that one priority is creating a space that's welcoming to a range of radical, transformative politics. Talk about why you think it's important to be non-sectarian and how you're working to make that happen. Yes, I think that's one of the challenges that the left has had in the past and that we need to learn and move beyond. I think at this point in history, we should come up with ways into building strength. There's going to be differences for sure, and we've encountered that in Solidarity Winnipeg. And what I hope is that at this point, we can come together and work because there is way too much damage that is being done, too much injustice, poverty. This shouldn't be happening. I think it's time that we wake up and that we learn how to deal with problems between us. I think at this point we need to save our energies to be effective. We've tried by having a basis of unity that's clearly radical, although it doesn't actually use the word radical. We're trying to use maybe different language than traditional left language sometimes. But clearly committed to the transformation of society and clearly 
acknowledging that that's a process that's going to be a process to which struggle is central. So it's not something that we can just expect to come through elections. People will have different understandings of electoral politics. But by trying to keep it both radical and open and broad, we're trying to actually relate to people where they're at and bring people together so that there's some common political framework that allows us to work together and to have a meaningful framework for discussions and debates. And we've tried to you know, avoid organizing on the basis of labels like anti-capitalist. Although there's certainly the core people in the group who very much would be very happy with that label. There are also lots of people who are very new to radical politics who are in the group. We've got a long way to go in terms of the group developing, and we're, I think, very much a work in progress. It's still a very new organization, still really a fledgling. But by trying to be both clear on most essential political ideas, but also very open, we were trying to bring people together so that we could break out of the place where the far left was at in Winnipeg before, which was just absolutely, you know, tiny little groups of people and people working together informally. But as Sophia described, it's very hard for people to plug into, very hard to actually be visible. So that's been the the approach so far. It's really an experiment. So since the Conservatives won the provincial election in Manitoba, what sorts of things has Solidarity Winnipeg been doing and talking about? So it's something we're just beginning to talk about. The group's going to be having a retreat in June to further clarify the common politics that unite us, because the group does range from people who are on the far left, the anti-capitalist left, to other people who I would say are more anti-neoliberal rather than anti-capitalist, but to clarify our common understanding politically, to talk about what we're going to do going forward. And so there's a lot that still needs to be discussed. A whole number of our members are involved in the Manitoba Energy Justice Coalition and the People's Climate Plan campaign that's underway directed at the federal government. And we have a number of members who are active in the Postal Workers Union. Of course, they're facing a lockout at the beginning of July, so they're very focused on that. And very few members of the group have been through the experience of anti-austerity campaigning. Some experience from Quebec. I was in Ontario under Mike Harris. So a couple of us who have past experiences of being involved in that kind of mobilization. But we need to think about how we can most effectively, as a small group, try to play a role to be a bit of a catalyst to try to get some organizing going around austerity. Again, the real challenge is going to be to not just have a flash-in-the-pan protest. I mean, there are no doubt going to be protests and demonstrations, but can we actually contribute by working with others to build some kind of more rooted community organizing that will continue past the ups and downs of just those kind of demonstrations of the legislature that we can expect? Because it's quite possible that the Manitoba Federation of Labor and others will call for demonstrations but then people go home, they'll probably be told, you know, what we have to do is prepare to elect the NDP in 2020, and we want to do everything we can to push for a different approach, one of actively opposing the government and building extra parliamentary mobilization. You have been listening to my interview with Sophia Soriano and David Camfield of Solidarity Winnipeg. To learn more about their work, go to solidaritywinnipeg.ca. That's SolidarityWinnipeg.ca. To find out more about Talking Radical Radio, the guests, the theme music, and the ways that you can listen, or to suggest topics for future shows, go to TalkingRadical.ca and click on the link for the radio show. On the site, you can sign up for email updates or follow us on Facebook or Twitter. 
I'm your host, Scott Nye, a writer and media producer based in Hamilton, Ontario, and the author of two books of Canadian history told through the stories of activists, Gender and Sexuality, and Resisting the State, both from Fernwood Publishing. Thank you very much for listening, and I hope you tune in again next week. Thank you.